Hi friends, this is Melanie. I have a quick announcement before we begin. As you likely know, the re-release of the What When Wine Diet, which is called What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, is now available to pre-order on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. If you read the original book, this version is about 80% new content, and it has 50 amazing gluten-free recipes by celebrity chef Arian Resnick. But I have a special offer for listeners of our podcast. If you pre-order that book and send a picture of your receipt to preorder at ifpodcast.com, I'll send you a few fun things. First, I'll go ahead and send you the holiday recipes from the book. So that is a turkey with apple cranberry chutney, a root veggie mash, which is sort of like mashed potatoes without potatoes, a pumpkin pie, and a paleo pie crust recipe. And those are all just amazing. They also have wine pairings with them as well. You'll also get access to an online quiz to figure out your perfect IF approach. That'll be available starting November 13th. And then lastly, you'll be entered into a drawing to win a phone or a Skype call with me. So that'll be super fun, and I would love to talk to you. So yes, please pre-order that book and send a copy of your receipt to pre-order at ifpodcast.com. All right, thanks so much. Now enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 32 of the Intermission Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 32 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? Doing very well. All healed from my rogue sickness. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Did you um, break your fast at all to address that? Nah, I wasn't really that sick. I mean, I had like a sore throat, scratchy throat. Then it kind of went in my sinuses a little bit. But what was interesting is I used to get sick a whole lot before intermittent fasting. And something like this, I would have been at the doctor getting an antibiotic. But this like, once I had like, I had like one day of sinus pressure and then it was like over by the next. So people get sick and then they get prescribed antibiotics when that might probably isn't even the problem in the first place. Like it could be a virus and then... Well, I would get some, whenever I would have, it always followed a pattern for me. If I had something respiratory, I would always have either a sinus infection or an ear infection by the time I was done, like with a fever and like it would settle in there, but I don't have that. That didn't happen this time. Well, that's good. It was. It was very good. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, IF. Yay, healing. (laughs) How about you? Anything going on with you? Two things. I had my birthday, 
which was oh happy fun. birthday yeah that was nice I had dinner with my family although it was a really nice dinner at a really nice restaurant and having been a server though have you ever been a server in the hospitality industry yes I have all throughout college and then I actually met my husband we were both waiting tables in 1990 I had just graduated from college oh. and yeah, we were both waiting tables at the same restaurant. Oh, hey. Well, so I have a lot of experience in fine dining, but it has completely ruined my experience of restaurants. <laughs> like, I'm so aware now of I don't want the server to be stressed. And then, but then I know that I'm like a very difficult customer because I'm so crazy with my requests. I'm like, put no sauce, gluten free. I'm just crazy. And then I feel bad. And then, so it's just, it's just not good. That's funny. But yeah, it was good. It was good regardless. Well, once once you've waited tables, you never forget what it's like to be a server. Oh, I know. Never, never, never. Nope. So that's the one thing. And then the other thing, I had a crazy, crazy experience. About a week ago, I woke up and I had an email from my editor and it was about the last final edits for the book because there's just so many rounds of edits. Right. I didn't even realize. It's crazy. <laughs> and I didn't realize th that the book was due the next day for the printer. <laughs> like I, that slipped through. I feel like something was lost in translation somewhere. Right. So I was like, okay, I'll try to get this, you know, by tomorrow night. They're like, well, it's going to the printer tomorrow. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, so then wow. I had to read the whole book then. But that's not even the crazy part. So that happened. And then <laughs> I saw there was like a, a wet spot on my rug. So I called maintenance and maintenance came. And then they started just looking around and then they started pulling back the flooring a little bit. And we realized there was water damage through my through my entire apartment wow. and mold, mold oh, no. which is my my bad thing like that's the reason I moved apartments two years ago was to get over mold there was water everywhere mold everywhere so oh my gosh this is all happening at the same time I had to change apartments because they ripped up all the flooring while I had to read the entire book and edit well <laughs> that does sound crazy in one day <laughs> happy birthday Melanie <laughs> I know thankfully it was a few days before my birthday but yeah that was the, just the worst day wow but it's done That's now. crazy. Where was the water coming from? From the air conditioner. Because I make uh, it really cold at night. So maybe it's my fault. No, I don't know. Nah. No, you should be able to make it as cold as it'll go and not have a puddle of water in your it apartment. It was so bad. It was just yuck. Was, so that's why, I don't know if you see, it's a different background. I'm well, a, I do see that, yeah. I'm in a guest suite. Okay. That's life. Yeah. yeah. That's all done. Well, I'm glad that that's behind you, right? Yes, but just mold is like, ugh. It's my my ugh. That's all. Yeah, it's it's it set off some it of your health issues. Me, yes. Yeah. So, but at least now I have all new flooring and everything. Well, that's good. That's good. Or will. Yeah. So, yep. All right. Shall we jump into today's questions? Yes, let's let's get right started. I think we've got some good ones today. I do too. I think that every week, but because well, we have yeah. such good ones. We have so we many do. to pick from too that not that there are bad ones, but there's just a lot of potential for really good right. ones. <laughs> yes. All right. So the first question comes from Cindy and the subject is 
IF for weight loss, what am I doing wrong? And Cindy says, Hi ladies, I know a lot of us are interested in IF for weight loss benefits and we can't wait to see those pounds come off. I thought a great idea for the podcast would be a discussion of what am I doing wrong when weight loss seems elusive. What are common errors that you see on this journey? Thanks for considering this topic and thank you for a wonderful podcast. I look forward to each week's new episode. And so I thought this would be like a really fun question. I have five things. Did you make a list, Jen? Yes, I have four. You have four things. Oh, perfect. Yeah. (laughs) We did this on one of the first episodes. Do you remember? We did. Yes. We should do this more often. It's fun. Yeah, (laughs) it is fun. How should we do it? I don't know. Should I say one and then? Well, like maybe I should read my four and then, and then you read, then you read yours. What do you think? Because we might have the same ones, but in a different order. That's true. Or we could do one at a time. But that's what I'm saying. We might have the same ones in different order. Well, you could say it and I could say if I have it. Oh, okay. Well, we could do that. Okay. All right. Oh, I'm so excited. I don't know why. It's like a game. So I'll read my first and then you say if you have it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well, my very first is the mistake that I made all when I started and it was not fast and clean. I put that as my first one in honor of you. You knew I was going to say that. Yay. Well, I just, it made such a difference. You know, I tried, I've told this before, I tried intermittent fasting from 2009 to 2014 on and off, on and off, and never could stick with it because I was not fasting clean. I was drinking, you know, diet type sodas. I was having, I even think I was having like a latte that was like 70 calories. I mean, I was not fasting clean. And then I was trying the whole coconut oil and the coffee and I think all those things just made me hungrier and kept me from having the the easy fast that I have now. So if I had not done that, I think I wouldn't have kept quitting <laughs> so frequently over those years. Um, how what what would you say about that? I'm not quite as not not that you're crazy, but I'm not <laughs> quite as intense about the clean fasting as you. But I completely agree about it, and I do think that. Not fasting clean can be a big hindrance, especially to weight loss. It muddles your fast and it just kind of stops some of the things that really keep you from just really tapping into fat burning. Right. Playing with insulin, playing with appetite, playing with hunger, just, it just, it's not clean. (laughs) Well, And and you know, I've even thought about the fat, you know, the fat in the coffee and how fat in the coffee doesn't spike insulin. So people think it's okay. You're burning that fat versus your fat. But I think, you know, whatever your body is burning for energy, it doesn't just like spin on a dime. You know, if you're burning fat from your coffee cup versus fat from your body, I mean, those are different pathways, right? Those are different processes, whether you're coming from the digestive tract or whether you're coming from your body. So I feel like even though, you know, people are like, oh, fat, you're you're not stopping the fast. I feel like it's got to make a difference in there somehow. I actually think because the question is about what am I doing wrong for weight loss specifically, Yeah, the fat thing could be huge. I think so. If you're trying to lose weight, if that is your goal, and then you're taking in 800 calories of fat in your coffee, I mean, mm-hmm. that is 800 calories not coming from your body. <laughs> right. Exactly. And people just have the wrong idea about it. And I actually analyzed the math of it in one of my blog posts about coffee 
on jenstevens.com. And, you know, we've all heard that these fats, you know, quote, raise your metabolism, right? Well, they do. And I read that in a study and it was interesting. I can't remember the exact numbers right now, but it's all in the blog post. It talked about how much it raised metabolism, but it also talked about how much of the actual, I guess, I think it was MCT oil in this study, how much of the MCT oil they actually had to consume to get the increased metabolic rate. And really, it didn't even out. Like, it increased your metabolic rate, but not as much as the amount of the calories from that energy that you consumed. So it's like, yeah, it raised your metabolic rate, but you also had all that energy coming in. So that said, I will say caveat, I am supportive of if MCT oil works for you, maybe in your eating window. Oh, yeah. I know that you said the metabolism doesn't doesn't even out, but it could support metabolism, especially if you're struggling with like a slow metabolism. So I'd recommend if you are eating MCT oil to incorporate it into your feeding, your feeding, your eating window. <laughs> yes, I agree with that. And also I do talk about in that same blog post that you can use this as kind of, I hate to say the word crutch, but a transition as you're trying to transition into an intermittent fasting lifestyle these products can be useful. I agree. Yep. All, All right. right. So you're, you're ready for number two that I had? Sure. My second is time, not giving it enough time. Did you have that on your list? No. Oh, okay. I, I see this a lot in the, um, the intermittent fasting support groups on Facebook, and it's because people think that, like with, with most diets, you know, think about traditional diets that you started – you lost weight probably more quickly at first than you did as the diet rolled on, right? Has that been your experience with, you know, traditional diets, Melanie, in the past? Wait, that you lose more weight? Like, yeah, most in most diets that I remember trying over the years, I would start the diet and your weight would like pop right off. You would lose the most weight right at first. Right, yes, yes. Like if you're doing a traditional, right. quote, diet. But with intermittent fasting, that doesn't always happen or even usually happen. And some people find they even gain a little weight at first when they start. And that freaks people out because, you know, they're used to starting a diet and then the weight just falls right off. And of course, it usually slows down and then, you know, they'll plateau. But with intermittent fasting, not seeing weight loss for the first few weeks makes people think that, oh my gosh, this isn't going to work for me. This is this is not a plan. I'm, I'm actually gaining weight on this. I don't want to do it. So we have to often convince people, you know, give it time. Your body is adjusting. Before your hormones get into balance, before you get your satiety signals right, a lot of people tend to overeat at first when they start intermittent fasting. And so they'll start off and they're just like overeating and they're not getting the, the appetite signal to stop. And so, of course, that, that may be one reason that they, they gained the weight at first. That was actually one of my reasons. I mean, it's hard to eat too much, but you can still eat too much. And like, yeah, a lot of people do that at first and then they stop. You know, we've talked about Dr. Burt Hearing in his book, Appetite Correction, before, which is a great read. But he talks about how with intermittent fasting over time, your body does get those satiety signals back and you do get the stop eating message from your body. and um, But that's missing at first. So people do overeat at first, gain the weight, have a hard time losing weight, 
But then eventually, if they're you know, doing the fasting, tapping into their stored fat, letting their hormones get back into balance, their satiety hormones, then they're like, oh, okay, they're starting finally to eat less, and then the weight loss can, can occur. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else to add about that? Um, no, I agree. Okay. All right. The third thing I have on my list is um, that the scale is not giving you an accurate picture because of body recomposition. Oh. I Do you have that know. one? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a different list. I know. That's so cool. I can't wait to hear yours. Um, as far as the body recomposition, probably most listeners have seen the the picture of like a big blob of a pound of fat next to a small pound of muscle. And it's true. You know, yes, a pound of fat is the same weight-wise as a pound of muscle, but they take up a lot of different space in the body. Fat takes up more space on a pound-per-pound basis than muscle does. So when we're doing the clean fast, our body has a lot going on. For one thing, you're tapping into your fat stores and you're preferentially burning fat for fuel during the fast, and you're not losing muscle. In fact, your body is now in the rebuilding phase. And so, um, you know, we have an increase in human growth hormone. So I actually heard something interesting that women have more human growth hormone than men actually when fasting. I've come across that. Yeah. It was just an interesting statistic. And so women are going to be able to build muscle in the fasted state and also tapping into the fat. And so we're not going to necessarily show on the scale, you know, that fat loss may not show up because of the the muscle, the body recomposition. And so a lot of people will find that a better way to gauge their their progress is taking measurements, you know, measure your waist, measure your, you know, different areas of your body and keep track of that. You know, if your clothes are getting looser, even if the scale is not going down, there's something happening in your body. You're having that body recomposition. That's huge. People just fixate on the scale and that's all that matters. You should just throw away those scales. All Well, scales. you know, I did. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I did. And I've, I've told the story before on the podcast, but it, it did have to do with the fact that I lost two jean sizes over 14 months and expected to, you know, when I got back on the scale, I hadn't weighed. I expected to be down about 10 pounds and I was only down like two pounds. So, you know, the scale was not a good gauge of what was happening with my body at that time. All right. I'm ready for my fourth one, my last one. And that is, um, if you are calorie counting and treating it like a typical diet where you're trying to micromanage your intake, that can be a problem. Um, did you have that? No, no. Well, I can't wait to hear yours then. They really are different. And the reason I say that is because if you've been dieting for a long time, and I know we have lots of people come to intermittent fasting who have a, a dieting history like both you and I had, we're used to controlling our intake. We're used to micromanaging in some way what we're eating. It may have been counting calories. And if you've been counting calories for a long time, you have a hard time trusting that your body is going to be able to give you the right appropriate signals when you're eating. So if you're treating it like a typical diet, you might be eating more than you need. Actually, if your body, you know, if you're in the fasted state, you're accessing your fat stores, you know, we all have the quote, 
you know, what you must have, unquote, you know, the number of calories per day. So people are afraid they're not eating enough. So they'll eat more than they actually need, you know, to try to hit a calorie target or vice versa. There may be a day that your body is hungrier. You need to eat more that day. But if you're fixated on the calorie count, then you're going to miss out on it because you don't want to go over some, you know, artificial calorie threshold that you set for yourself. So those were my four, clean fast, not giving yourself time, not understanding that your body composition is changing or treating it too much like a regimented diet plan. All right. So what did you have that I was missing? I was just going to say, I like your last one. It goes back to what we talk about with intuitive eating all the time. So basically just not being Trust your body. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right, so the only one that we matched on exactly was the clean fast, which I had as number one. So my second one was having too long of a window, too long of an eating window. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. You're right. Say that you're only fasting, you know, 12 to 14 hours and then eating for 8 to 10 or so. You might just need to shorten your window to see more – immediate weight loss results. I don't really know how to elaborate on that. Um, Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And a lot of people, you know, come to it with the idea of doing 16-8, for example, with an eight-hour eating window. And you really can eat a lot of food mm -hmm. in that period of time. Yeah. Especially if you have a desk job or if you're very sedentary and then you, you do a longer window and you're still eating lunch, but then you're just sitting, you know, not really moving around. And then you get home and still have like a huge dinner. It might just help yeah. to shorten things a bit and yeah. see how that goes. Excellent point. Try maybe the one meal a day. There you go. I have three and four. They're sort of similar, but not quite. So number three, I have what you're eating. And under that, I have processed foods, for example. Mm -hmm. So if you're eating highly addictive, highly refined foods, that can really just short circuit all of your brain's natural, intuitive, I don't know how to say it, can make you overeat for sure. So I really recommend reading Stefan Guillenet's book, The Hungry Brain, Outsmarting the Instincts That Make Us Overeat. And so that's even with the all of the benefits of intermittent fasting, which Intermittent fasting can really help mitigate the damage from overeating and can really help with weight loss, even with eating a large amount of food. There's still a lot of potential problems that can sneak in when you're eating highly refined, processed, addictive foods. And so I really recommend that book if you're interested in the neurological, the circuitry and everything that just makes us overeat, especially these highly palatable foods that we have today. So I think that can be a problem. And then I also had eating which we talked about a second ago, just eating too much, um, either Mm -hmm. just because in the initial very beginning as an adjustment period or because you think you need to eat more. So yeah, there's that. And then number four, which is kind of similar, um, but not quite, (laughs) I have um, carbs. So some people might pair up intermittent fasting with a keto approach, and that might work splendidly. Or it might not work so well for them. It might create more of a stressed out state and not work out as well together. Or on the flip side, people might be eating too many carbs. So basically, I guess it just goes back to there is the potential that in what you're eating as far as carb count goes, 
that it could be affecting how your body is processing food. I don't want people to freak out and overanalyze things. I encourage people to be intuitive, but I do think that could be a thing and that could be something to look at if weight loss seems elusive. Or on the flip side, look at it a different way. You might be able to experience more weight loss by adjusting your macronutrient composition. Yeah, because the key is that we're not all the same. You know, as I dug dug into the research about why, you know, of course, our gut microbiomes, our genetic factors, some people really do better with, for example, more protein, whereas other people do better with less protein and or more carbs or fewer carbs. And so you really can't go by, you know, exactly the meals that work for somebody else. You have to figure out your best um, foods. Right. So maybe I would like to rephrase it to make it more similar to what you just said. So maybe not <laughs> carbs specifically, but just finding the right foods that work for you to support mm-hmm. your weight loss journey. Right. So, and then number five, I have hormones. From my research, I really do believe intermittent fasting can support a healthy hormonal state, especially when you give it more time and let your body heal and adjust accordingly. But that could be a a thing <laughs> that's messing up your weight loss and it's really beyond your control. You can heal and you can fix all of that. Hormones with the thyroid or even appetite hormones like ghrelin and leptin and there's just so many things that can be on or off in your body and it's really hard to tell. So for that, I really recommend seeing a, uh, a functionally minded doctor of some sort who can do a, a full panel and see where where your thyroid's at, where your hormones are at, and see if there's something off there. That's not necessarily you doing something wrong, but there's something going wrong in your body. Yeah, that's an excellent point because it's it's all really not in your conscious control. And that's the part that is so frustrating. Um, it, we think that you know, we've been trained to think that if you just do X, Y, Z, then you will lose this weight at the pace of, you know, whatever, because it's all just a big math equation. That's the, what we've been led to believe, and that's just not how your body actually works. So if there's something stopping you from access, accessing your fat stores, or if there's something that has slowed your metabolic rate, you're going to have a hard time until that's back into balance. Yeah. The thyroid specifically is huge. Yep. It is. So if, it is. I mean, if you're hypothyroid and your body has decided, you know, to downregulate your metabolism to not burn fat, you're not going to burn fat. Right. So, um, yeah, I have some blog posts about this on my website as well. So if you go to our website, ifpodcast.com slash episode 32, we'll put links to the, the blog posts that we discussed, Jen's posts, my posts. If you like further reading, yeah, awesome. That was yeah, fun. I think, I think those were good. It's funny that we could probably go on and on and on, but we probably could. <laughs> that's a good start. Now I want to just think if there's like any like really super duper random reason that could be keeping you from losing weight. Yeah, I want to. Well, come up I mean, with one. well, for example, sleep. Oh, see, oh, neither of us said huge. that. Oh, we didn't say right? that. Oh, no, wait, that's we huge. also didn't say stress, which kind of goes with what you said with hormones because. If you're under a lot of stress, you'll have cortisol and, you know, extra cortisol can keep you from, from losing weight as well. So, I mean, there's really so many reasons why someone may not be losing weight. And so, 
you know, it would be great if we could say, here is exactly what to do. Eat exactly like this, this exact amount or this amount of time, do this, these exact list of foods. But because we have so many different factors, it just doesn't work that way. Yep. Sleep. That's a huge one. Yeah. Okay. It is. I'm going to stop because I okay. go on a tangent. <laughs> All right. Are we ready for the next one? Yes. Okay. This one is from Nicole and the subject is digestive enzymes and... Hmm. Is that betaine? I don't know how to say that. I've always said betaine HCL, but then I've heard it said recently completely a different way. Well, I have I, no I idea. I say betaine HCL. That's okay. what is said in my mind. I've I... never heard that before. It's hydrochloric if... acid. Okay. Well, it says HCL after that. So I do know that's hydrochloric acid, but I don't know the betaine part. Sorry. So her question is, dear Melanie and Jen, Like many listeners express, I love your podcast and look forward to each new episode. I have a question about your practices regarding digestive enzymes in a four to five hour eating window. If either of you take them, do you take them before you break your fast and then again with your actual meal? Or do you take them only one time for the entire eating window? It feels like one time is not enough for a four hour window, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you in advance, Nicole. Hi, Nicole. Awesome question, and it's one that I've had myself as well quite often. In the past, I've taken a lot of digestive enzymes. I currently now just take HCL, and then I take a proteolytic enzyme during the fast, which Jen and I have talked about before, serapeptase, which is an amazing enzyme that basically enters the body and breaks down protein buildups and just stuff in the body. But back to digestive enzymes, were you going to say something? No, I was just going to say, I've heard it described as biofilm, like serapeptase oh, yes. breaks down biofilm. It can break down biofilms too, yeah. for sure, which are basically um, protective mucousy matrices that bacteria and pathogens in your system can create to protect themselves. And they kind of just camp out behind these biofilms. It's actually a reason that if you have gut dysbiosis with pathogenic or bacteria that you don't want or yeast or things like that, it can be so hard to treat because they hide behind yeah. these these biofilms. Well, I actually feel like when I was when I was sick and my sinuses were clogged up, like I feel like the serapeptase may have helped. Oh, I oh I with believe that. So. Yeah, so like instead of you know getting an infection like I used to do, I'll continue taking it. Serapeptase has been the thing for my sinuses. Yep. Like, okay. So back to your question, Nicole. So, okay. So to take them before you break your fast. Actually, some people do take digestive enzymes in the fasted state for a similar reason to serapeptase. I have seen protocols that require high dosing of digestive enzymes in the fasted states in the hopes that it breaks down like I said, the uh, the pathogenic bacteria or just problems like that. I think for your question, you're probably talking more about just for food digestion. So for that, I would recommend, I'll tell you what I do. People can be different. So the digestive enzymes, there's so many different ones. I have found a few that I like historically, so I'll put links to that. If you go to ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like, that's where we put all of the stuff we like. So I'll put some digestive enzymes there. I think I already have the HCL that I use listed on that website, but we'll get that updated in any case. So right now I just take HCL. It's stimulating the stomach for a few reasons. It helps break down protein and fat specifically. 
It also maintains an acidic environment to discourage pathogens and bad bacteria that you might be ingesting with your food. So I take HCL, and people seem to do it all different ways. I don't take it at the beginning of my eating window because I usually break it with light, lighter vegetables and cucumbers and wine and stuff like that. But I take the HCL once I start eating my protein, which I eat a lot of chicken and fish and stuff like that. So I take it and then I, I should probably be more specific, but then I kind of just take it as I'm eating. I continue to take it just what feels good, which is probably not very scientific. The official protocol that people say to do, especially if it's your first time taking HCL. So the first time you are eating your meal, you start taking HCL until you feel a burning sensation in your stomach. And that means that you've reached the acidic point that you should be at. And so then the next time you eat, you titrate down and you do like one less than that. You just continue that protocol um, so that you reach a place where you're taking an amount that is creating adequate stomach acid without creating a, a burning sensation, basically. And studies show this is something that's very interesting because I have researched this, that HCL does not discourage the production of your own stomach acid. It actually supports a really healthy environment, which can encourage your body to generate its own HCL. So you don't have to worry about down-regulating your own production. It's only going to support your digestion. And then with digestive enzymes, especially the broad spectrum ones, I would just take them in general with your food. She didn't mention ox bile. That's another digestive supplement that you can take. Specifically, if you lack a gallbladder or if you struggle breaking down fats, supplementing with ox bile can be huge, huge, huge for stimulating bile. Well, it is bile, <laughs> um, but it can be huge for breaking down fat. So that's something else to try. I'm curious, why did you start taking digestive enzymes? Did you have like a specific something that was going on for you that made you? Ever since I got sick from food poisoning a few years ago and then just really struggled in the, with IBS after that and took antibiotics and got diagnosed with small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Basically, my digestion just died. It just died. Um, so I've really been on the, the research train and really tried people, audience, friends. I have tried so many things. So that, that's why to fix my digestion. Well, that's so interesting because I do not take any digestive enzymes and I've never taken any and I've never felt like I needed any. I've got great digestion. <laughs> that's amazing. I am so jealous. I, I used to have fantastic digestion. I used to pride myself on it. I was like, I was so proud of my digestion. I was like, I can handle anything. And then everything just happened. And like to the point that I've never even thought about it. Like I just eat food yeah. and go about my life. <laughs> I miss those days. Once it gets off, and that, I, and off. this is a reason that I am so passionate about finding the foods that work for you, and I'm so passionate about whole foods, and just because I have struggled and do struggle, and once things get off, it's hard <laughs> to get things back together because everything's everything also goes together yeah for example when I got the food poisoning and the bacterial and the, the SIBO my thyroid took a hit as well so I got hypothyroid and I got fatigue I, I just got all the things 
I'm not <laughs> I'm not a, a big believer of modern healthcare where we just treat one symptom and see it as separate. I believe it all goes together. And so once one thing gets off, it's very likely that everything gets off and then it's really hard to get back to get everything back together. But the good thing is that because everything does work together, I do believe that you can make rapid healing and you can really recover if you can find the root cause of your problem and really address that. And I, I have some blog posts about this that go into all the details if you're if you're curious. So I'll put links to that. I have podcast.com slash episode 32. This just became like a personal Melanie um thing. But well no, I think it's interesting. And it funny that you mention it. I have a friend that did have lots of digestive issues and hers also began with food poisoning. Yeah, so, that's a that's a very wow. common Yeah. It's a very common cause. I haven't had there's a a new test they do now. It's called IBS check, I think. A lot of people, ever since they get some sort of either food poisoning or pathogen or initial thing, that's they just it's so hard to recover after yeah. that. And she it took it took her years. Yeah. To get it back and she had all these things she couldn't eat. So yeah. It's it's really fascinating. Crazy. So I guess I'm going to really appreciate and be thankful for my oh please do good digestive system. I will say this is actually so my new book, um, which is What When Wine, lose weight and feel great with paleo style meals, intermittent fasting, and wine. Sorry, shameless plug. It comes out in January. Actually, though, I was debating for so long about what should my conclusion be when I write that book, and it's I actually talk about all this, just about how this all happened, but. I'm grateful in a way because it's made me realize just how important food is and how yeah. important what you eat is. So even though it's been rough, <laughs> it's really made me realize. And I think because I am so sensitive now, people have so many problems down the line from unhealthy eating patterns and they don't really realize it. It kind of happens behind the scenes. But because I am so sensitive, I can tell right away if a food is not good for me. So I've learned a lot from it, and I'm sort of grateful. I'm almost grateful. Yeah, maybe. I get it because it'll it'll help you be healthier going forward. Yes, right. So you're making choices now that support health, whereas if you hadn't had all these problems, then you would just be like whatever. Yeah, I totally exactly. get it. Exactly, and I think a lot of listeners struggle with this as well especially from questions we've had coming in and just from what I've seen. Well, in the modern food environment, it's hard to... Well, it's hard not to. It's hard to... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But I'm, I'm very happy for you that you've <laughs> always yeah. had wonderful digestion. <laughs> I have. I'm grateful for that. So, all right, are we ready for the next question? Yes. <laughs> okay. All right, so our next question comes from Cindy. Our first one came from a Cindy... This is a different Cindy. The subject is supplements. And Cindy says, I tried IF a year ago and saw about a 25-pound loss. I did this for about three to five months. I was following Dr. Mike Lara. Do you know who that is, Jim? I've heard of him just because um, like somebody has referenced his videos. He apparently has videos. Videos. Okay. Yeah. But I don't, you know, I don't watch videos. So. <laughs> or listen to podcasts. No, no, no. Exactly. Or listen to podcasts or listen to audiobooks. <laughs> None of those things. Yeah. Jen does not do any of these. <laughs> I don't. So I have not seen his videos, but I've heard of him. So she was following Dr. Mike Lara and he suggested the following to go along with IF. 
Okay, so fiber, Metamucil, three to five grams, two times a day. Omega-3s, two grams, two times a day. MCT or coconut oil, 15 grams, two times a day. BCAA, 10 to 15 grams, two times a day. As you'll see, this is not actually involved in her question, but I'm sure we're going to talk about that for a second. Um, okay, back to Cindy's question. She says, it seemed my hair was falling out. It's like a twist ending to this question. And I was wondering if it was from the Metamucil stripping my nutrients. My question is, has anyone complained of hair loss? So. All right. So I'm going to go straight to the hair loss question and then get back to the supplement. Okay. I guess. Or should I do it the opposite way? Should I talk about the supplements first, then the I hair think, loss? I think what we should think? quickly address the supplements. Okay. Get that out of the way. Um, as, as I said, I've heard of Dr. Mike Laura, but I have not um, – seen his videos. And so I don't know his protocol. I'm not familiar with, you know, his specific recommendations or why. I will say we've addressed every single one of these before on on our podcast as far as these are things that we don't recommend you have during the fast, you know, like fiber, for example, starting digestion, not what Definitely we're looking for not during fiber. the fast. No. And um, omega-3s, eh, you know, I would save that for your eating window. Well, I'm becoming increasingly more and more not a fan of taking omega-3 as a supplement. Oh, really? And it's mm-hmm. and instead taking it – instead getting it in natural – In your food? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree Just with that. Just because of um, oxidation of supplements and there's debates now about how much is too much when it comes to polyunsaturated fats. If people are familiar wow. with Ray Peat, that's a whole tangent. Yeah. So – Okay, Back to the- and then it, we've all we've talked about the coconut oil before. Save that for the the feasting time, mm-hmm. and also the branch chain amino acids, yeah. the BCAAs. You don't want to have protein during the fast either. So I'll put a link in the show notes to the episodes where we talked about these different okay things because we've talked about them all. We have, but we recommend these things, and and maybe not even the omega threes, depending on on what you're doing, but. Any of the other things, we recommend you having it in your eating window. So I don't know if that's what he's recommending, if he's saying eat it or have it in your eating window, or if he wants you to have it during the fast. So I can't speak to his specific protocol, just that we recommend those things in your eating window. So as far as the hair falling out, believe it or not, yes, people do talk about this. And I actually experienced hair falling out when I tried keto before I started um, intermittent fasting back in 2014. And I think I've talked about this before. I did not lose weight on keto at all. And it wasn't until I reintroduced carbs and started intermittent fasting that I began to lose weight. So, um, but my hair did start falling out after that. And so I, I it freaked me out, obviously, you know, because when your hair starts to fall out, you're like, what's happening? I mean, it was a lot of hair. And so anybody who's ever had hair falling out like this, it, it's like so much hair that when you wash your hair, you have like, like it comes out of your what, hand. That's what I've heard. That's never it's happened crazy. to me. My hair is super duper thin, so I stress and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm losing hair. But I've never had hair come out. It feels like it's coming out by the handfuls and you're you're wondering why you're not bald. I think I would cry. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. I would have a panic and attack. It was very giving me a panic attack. And so... I did a lot of research at the time, and I'm going to paraphrase what I found out. Basically, anything that stresses your body, I mean, it could be really so many things. Yes, it could be diet. It could be nutrition. It could be a a stress of any type. It could be um, just something that has stressed your body. 
sets off a process where your hair starts to fall out. And once the hair starts to fall out, the stressor has already occurred and and the process has to run its course. That's what I, I learned. You know, if you're starting to lose hair, you've already caused it. And so you can't like stop it or, you know, turn it back. It's, it's going to happen and it has to run its course and eventually it will stop and then eventually it will grow back if it's related to, to something like a stressor. I mean, I guess there are other reasons your hair could fall out too, but if it's related to weight loss, like if you're intermittent fasting and your hair starts falling out, it's probably that your body feels that this was a stress. So I, uh, you know, people are like, well, then what can I take to, to help it grow back? And really, you know, it makes us feel good. Like we're doing something about it. Like I, I took biotin because that's supposed to help with hair regrowth and so I don't know, does it really help or is it just because the process is over and now you're, it's, you know, you're growing it back? I'm not really sure. But it does help people feel like they're doing something about it. And I look at all my photos, the photos of me from 2015, and my hair really was thinner. And it was after, you know, 2014 is when, when I started with the experiment, you know, experiencing the hair loss. And in 2015 into the spring and summer, it's still, my hair looked very thin. And so it wasn't until... 2016 that I really saw, you know, my, my thick hair coming back. And so now, you know, I don't have the thinning hair and the hair loss like I did then, but it was very, very frightening. And, you know, you're cleaning out the drain of your shower and you're like, wow, you know, how do I have any hair left on my head? So I'm not saying Cindy, I would blame the Metamucil. No, that, um, I mean, there could be something to that. I'm, I've never heard of anything about Metamucil stripping your nutrients. I'm not an expert in that. Um, specific question there but if, if you're having the hair loss just try not to freak out but you will I promise you will because it is so scary what are your thoughts about about the hair loss yeah that's really interesting so like I said I have very very thin hair and I always have so I I sort of stress that I'm losing hair but whenever I get my hair done with my my salon people they're like no, you're not losing hair. You just have very thin hair. That's what they always say. So basically, it could be a lot of things. A lot of times it is related to stress and hormones. I did do some research on it. Specifically, it could be everything from DHEA to prolactin to sex hormones to cortisol to aldosterone. It can be it can be so many things. I do think it often goes back to either the hormones or not getting enough nutrition and not getting enough calories very often goes back to the thyroid, especially if you're hypothyroid. I will speak briefly about things that I did research as being effective for encouraging hair regrowth. Oh, and I also saw in my research what you said, Jen, about how once it happens, it's not like it happened yesterday. It happened, you know, a few months back and now you're seeing it and you you can put the steps in place. Yeah, but it's got to run its course, and that's the thing that's so scary because once it has started, it's got to it's going to keep going for a while, no matter what you do. But there are things you can do. So in general, I would encourage eating a diet that is very supportive of hair growth. So from the research that I've seen, I believe that's things like micronutrient-rich protein sources like shellfish, gelatin-rich sources like um, collagen, glycine-rich sources like shanks and oxtail, 
And they're just really nutrient-rich things like eggs, liver, make sure you get enough protein. Grass-fed dairy, if you can tolerate dairy, can be good for that. Getting adequate calcium, also getting adequate salt and adequate vitamin D. So just making sure you're getting the nutrition that you need, getting the calories that you need. So that can be huge. And then... As far as like, I know Jen spoke about biotin. A lot of people just see really good results with biotin. I took that back in the day. I haven't taken it recently. I will tell you one supplement. Have you heard of Jen? I don't know how you say it. Go to cola. No, I have not heard of that. Like I said, my hair is really thin and I did have a period where I was convinced I was losing hair, even though I don't think I was, but I did research and I kept coming back to this Ayurvedic. I don't know how you say it, uh, go to cola powder and people were all swearing about it for hair. It actually, it really works. <laughs> it really makes your hair grow. Um, wow. So, yeah. So I, and it's good for other things as well that I've seen really good results for personally, just anecdotally hydrolyzed collagen. I've seen really good results for in myself, at least with my nails growing and my hair growing. And then a few other things I talked about, I think on the last podcast or the podcast before, red light therapy can actually, has been shown to be very effective for hair growth. They make special like red light hat things. I actually have all the supplies to make my own red light hat. I bought all the stuff. I just haven't made it. it, it, it I, I've never like welded or done any of that before in my <laughs> life. And I was like, can I do this? I don't know, but I'm just going to do it. I mean, you have like welding stuff. Well, I have to go to Home Depot and buy all this stuff. Oh, that's maybe it's not welding. Soldering, you're yeah, soldering, soldering. Okay, yeah, I've never done. Yeah, any that's of this. not welding. That's good. okay. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's see, that, that's how much I know. That's how much see, I know about this. Welding is like really like big thing. Like you got your welding helmet and you're like shooting out the. Flame. Oh, I don't know. That's what I think of with welding. Oh yeah, okay. Not yeah, welding, soldering, 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 which yeah. which is still a lot for it is for this girl. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's on my project to-do list. I'm really excited. It's going to be really exciting. I'm going to go to Home Depot and be like, what do I need? Tell me what I need. Yeah. Like, take your picture wearing it. We want to see you wearing it. Oh, yes. A photo. My mom gave me this really, really nice Prada hat. It's, like, super expensive. And I was like, oh, I'm going to use this for my red light hat. And my mom was like, you cannot do that. (laughs) But I was like... I'll wear it all the time then. Like, it will get its use. Yeah. I don't know. Do That's you think funny. I should or no? Well, you know, sorry, Mom. Listeners everywhere are, like, freaking out over your hat, right? 